Hello and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews that we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Deanna Ornelas. Uh, it's May, March 31st, 2021. We're at the Eastside Coffee Bar and Workspace in Portland. Deanna, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Um, first question for you, most important question, as you know, is why wine? Mm. Um, yeah, why not? It's just, um, it's not something I grew up with. But prior to getting into wine, I was working uh, in an industry that I just didn't really love. And I know I'm very uh, privileged to work in an industry now that I love, but I was working in health insurance. So people like you a lot more when you're selling them wine and not health insurance. I don't know if you know, but the health insurance climate here is pretty, pretty hot. Um, So I got out of that. I kind of discovered wine um, just through friends and family. I mean, I wasn't drinking anything you know near as nice as I drink now as my palate has matured right um, but yeah uh, that's kind of how I got into it so I uh, quit my job at insurance sales and a couple weeks later I was actually traveling traveling in New Orleans with a friend uh, one of my favorite cities um, where all my favorite cocktails come from too I'm um, a non-discriminatory drinker so if it's well made I'll probably drink it but um, I got a call from a local uh, wine shop back in Wichita, Kansas, where I'm from, and they said, hey, we heard you're jobless. <laughs> you know, small town, uh, <laughs> it's easy to get connected. So they reached out to me and said, hey, you want to work at the wine shop? You know, I uh, heard you might want to get in wine. I said, yeah, like talk about timing, that's amazing. So I got back from my trip and started working there um, at a little wine shop uh, called Jacob Liquor Exchange uh, with some just really great teachers there as well, some uh, good mentors and support system there as well. Um, yeah, and wine is definitely something I got into later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't drinking that, you know, right at 21. I was still drinking vodka and, I don't know, Dr. Pepper. But, yeah, so here I am now. So that's kind of how I started to get into it. And um, I, I took a trip to uh, Argentinian wine country kind of by accident. A friend and I um, decided to meet up. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to schedule a wine tasting in Mendoza because we were staying in Buenos Aires. And um, we did that. And it was just, again, another just kind of aha, life-changing moment. Like, I could do this. This could be lucrative. This could be a career mm-hmm. uh, for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that kind of gave me a little boost of confidence as well. And then got that call from, from the wine shop people uh, back home. And it just sort of kind of fell into place. Um, yeah, and just started researching wine from there. It just has always kept me engaged. I mean, you're never going to know it all. Um, and I'm constantly learning new things about wine. I think that's why I, I love it. It's a passion. I mean, there's history. Um, you learn about culture. You learn about regions. You learn about food. Where there's good wine, there's going to be, you know, some bomb food as well. So, yeah, it's just it's just sort of an industry that can just really give and give and also take and take, mm-hmm. too. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned the you mentioned the, kind of getting the call from the wine shop, Argentinian wine mm-hmm. tours. So tell me about the education for yourself of wine. And now you're you're kind of interested in it. So tell me about the first steps for learning wine for you. Yeah. So I found that I'm definitely a hands-on learner. So lots of drinking. We call it research. <laughs> um, um, 
and I just started to do lots of wine tasting and you know I started to trust my senses more and um, trust uh, you know what I was tasting what I was smelling what I was seeing in the wine because it's so sensory it's also very subjective so that was sort of, sort of an education when I started at the wine shop just tasting with distributors constantly um, I like to say I wasn't you know, tipsy on the job but I'm sure I was um, before I knew better and didn't spit. I think I, I drank everything the distributor gave us. Uh, so that's kind of how I, so I started to learn. And then uh, my uh, Jamie and Whitney Stratton, they actually uh, run the wine program there in uh, Wichita, Kansas, little wine shop, uh, Jacob Liquor Exchange. And they had said, you know, you should probably go and get some more education, you know, this in, uh, some certification. So I went and got my level one WSDT uh, with the Napa Valley Wine Academy. And then I got a scholarship through uh, an organization back home. Uh, food and wine scholarship and did my level two um, and then uh, through my current job uh, I was able to get my level three with the wine archive here in Portland with uh, Mimi mm -hmm. so that was a lot of fun as well um, and then I feel like I'm kind of going off different directions here but I, I really you, know, you can only read so much about Oregon wine. I really fell in love with Oregon wine when I was working at the wine shop. And so I just devoured and read everything I could about Oregon wine. But then I came to Oregon, um, you know, got the wild hair. And I say that, but I am so risk averse and do not like spontaneity. I give me, myself a year to plan. Um, so yeah, spontaneity, no thanks. I'm good. Give me a plan. I love routine. Um, so um, yeah, I came out, came out west and yeah, you just learn so much more when you're in the thick of the action and hands-on. So everything I know about Oregon is really just from being in Oregon, Oregon wine. Yeah, it's just amazing the education and that I've gotten. And because of that, I've just learned so much. Every day is different. The six years I've lived here has just flown by. Mm -hmm. So it's, mm -hmm. it's just been a, a wonderful ride. And again, I feel so lucky for, for things working out um, as they did for my, my wine journey mm -hmm. yeah, so far. So what prompted you to make that leap to go to Oregon? Mm -hmm. Um, my palate. I just fell in love with Oregon wine. As simple as that. There was no man. There was no job waiting for me. There was no, you know, I moved in my own, my own will. Uh, but like I said, I gave myself a year to a kind of plan where I might uh, um, um, live, where I, where I might work. You know what I did? So my, um, the wine shop owner, or um, wine manager, he had went to Oregon Pinot Camp and he had a book. And at the back of the book that they give you, it was, it was just a little cardboard little uh, about Oregon. And, and I look at it now and it's so small. It was probably from like 2003 or something. And uh, I, in the back of this, this binder, uh, cheap old binder were all like every winery in Oregon so what I did is just set emails and hey I'm gonna be there in March this is what I can do what have you got and so I started just making connections that way I reached out to everyone some of these tasting rooms I mean I probably wouldn't taste down now but it was <laughs> everyone and um, people were super nice they got back to me really laid back as you discover when you come to Oregon um, and uh, so I did that and kind of made my plan and then my um, brother-in-law's sister actually um, was living in Portland going to school so I was able to live with her for a month when I got out here um, drove the 1700 miles because Oregon wine is you know just that good yeah I just fell in love with it at the wine shop and mm -hmm. thought I need to get out there a lot of people ask me why didn't you go to California again that's where I feel like we all started like I used to love a big jammy juicy slappy in the mouth Cabernet Sap you know Cap Sap Zinfandel I just can't do it anymore but um, <laughs> and it also felt oversaturated over there as well and I thought the Oregon story needed to be be told 
um, you know, through through my my perspective, okay. my experience with it. So yeah, and then came out here and uh, just really discovered some wonderful folks along the way. Yeah. So when you came out here, you you basically gave yourself a year. So tell me about your kind of initial impressions and, and your yeah. initial thoughts of what you were going to do in that in that first year. Yeah. So uh, my plan, whenever I've gotten a job, it's actually because I've gone in and talked to the people. It's really not by applying online. It's just about making relationships, connections, and meeting people. So that's what I did. I drove around first. Um, oh, I actually met with. Um, Berg, Chris Berg, mm -hmm. and he just started giving me the lowdown. You need to call them. I think they're hiring. Do this, 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 and that. And just r rattling them off, and I was like, okay, got it. So I just started calling, you know, people in the valley. I called Cody Wright over at Purple Hands. I called the folks at Circle Blosser, um, um, Britain Tasting Room, and just kind of got connected that way as well. Just not being afraid, just putting myself out there. I really. You know, I'm not cool, so I'm okay <laughs> if like people are like, you're weird. I'm like, you're probably right. Um, and that's, yeah, just being vulnerable as well is, kind of, is what has helped me too. Um, so yeah, when I got here, when I got to Portland as well, um, again, just loved it like most people do. I moved in March and loved the food scene, the wine scene. Um, but, but I discovered that I was a little bit more aggressive than people here because you know, I come from insurance sales and also um, there are some similarities uh, to Kansas and uh, Oregon as well, just the friendliness, mm -hmm. um, but we're a little more assertive there, believe it or not. Believe it or not, you can believe it. Yeah, it's the West Coast. So I had to pull back a bit uh, and uh, once I did that, things just kind of fell into place. Um, yeah. You had an impression of Oregon wine from, from before, but tell me about your kind of initial impressions of the industry as you started to meet people and mm -hmm. see places. Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, again, people are welcoming. Uh, one thing as a Mexican woman, I did notice that there weren't a lot of people of color in positions of power. Uh, and the only person who was in my job working in a tasting room as a Winderly ambassador or you know education was uh, Sam Para of Para Wine Company. And so I immediately clung to him and we kind of became friends um, and he got me involved in, in other things as well. Uh, and that just, for some reason, rubbed me the wrong way. And I just, it was a bit of a culture shock coming mm -hmm. here too, to Portland. And yeah, coming from Wichita, Kansas, which I guess is a little more diverse than here, um, which at first I found hard to believe. But once I discovered, you know, the history and everything of mm -hmm. Portland, mm -hmm. it made sense. Um, and you know, I was like, oh, I can live out anywhere. I'll be fine. I don't always need my community around me. But I soon discovered that I did. And I was like, oh my gosh, who are you? Again, this life journey, you're discovering things about yourself, I guess, it happens. Um, so yeah, and then I sought out organizations that sort of aligned um, with my community, my values, who I was. I started to, um, I sat on the board for um, a multicultural organization that offers Spanish and English classes, sort of an immersion. They're called Educa. And you got the ya, educate ya, um, and uh, yeah, that just helped me find a community over at Northeast. Um, so again, I'm always I always seek out you know what I don't see or what I want to get, I guess. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so found a community there, and um, then within uh, my own organization, tried to uh, talk about. Um, the lack of diversity, mm -hmm. I guess, as well, and how that affected me. And then I would speak to other folks in the industry, and they would say, you know, I've had similar experiences. I'd like to see more people of color in in our industry. Um, and uh, that just sort of got my gears turning mm -hmm. as well as mm -hmm. where, where avenues would take us. 
So we'll come back to that in a second. But I'm mm -hmm. curious, uh, all, all the places you tried, you ended yeah. up at, Win at Winterly. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah, so uh, once I got out here, I had a few interviews. But when I went to Winterly Vineyard and Winery uh, in Dundee, it just really stuck. It was small and I, I you know, um, said to myself, I'll never get into a corporate environment again. I want open door policy. If I've got a crazy idea, you, you know, you've got to listen to it. Um, that's just how I work my best. And that was Bill and Donna over at Winderley Vineyard and Winery, Bill Sweat and Donna Morris. Um, and we interviewed, I talked to everybody on staff. I think I even met the doggies, Monty and Seely, <laughs> the Labradoodles. And um, I was like, this feels really good. And I've also learned another thing, just trusting my gut, trusting my instinct has always served me well. Um, and not listening to, I don't know, doubters or outside influences because I know myself better than anyone. Um, I like to think on most days. Um, so yeah, I just got a really good vibe from them because I, I got job offers at um, all the places that I interviewed with. And I think it was just hot hiring time. Like now, March, everybody's like, we got to you know, re-up the tasting room and everything. And, you know, I like to say I'm a great interviewer, but no, it was hiring time, I'm sure. But yeah, just got a really good vibe from Bill and Donna and everybody that worked there and uh six years later i'm still there so <laughs> that says anything oh sorry they they can't get rid of me you know <laughs> i'm not leaving so it's been a really great company to work with and yeah i feel like the um, i've gotten to um really like I said, be heard, advocate for myself, mm -hmm. um, and try new things, mm -hmm. explore new avenues within the wine industry. Mm -hmm. It's multifaceted, so I feel like I've gotten to do quite a bit of things in this one company. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's been really cool. So I know your your, your title now is brand ambassador. So mm -hmm. Tell me about the the initial role you were hired for and kind of how your role there has has evolved. Yeah, yeah. So uh, always a Winderly brand ambassador, spreading the good word, the gospel, Winderly Oregon wine. Um, but right now I'm communications lead in marketing. So yeah, just a lot of online marketing and sales, which has been so cool to learn about, um, especially with the pandemic. I feel like I've never worked as hard as I've worked. Uh, but when the, when the pandemic hit is when I, yeah, really stretched my abilities and my skills. And, um, and uh, I mean, I, I, I really enjoy it just, uh, I think at heart, I'm a salesperson. You know, I've been, every job I've had is sales. And I really love that, you know, uh, giving people um, a product they need, especially if it's something I believe in. Mm -hmm. um, uh, overcoming any objections and just helping someone and forming relationships. I mean, it always, it's relationship building, it's not sales. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, still selling, but on the more digital front, mm -hmm. emails, social media, mm -hmm. uh, which has just been really cool to learn about. I've really enjoyed that. And I feel like it's a skill I could take anywhere, mm -hmm. you know, for some reason. I wasn't at Winderly, mm -hmm. yeah. So let's talk about the Winderly story. And, and you mentioned hey, you, felt, you felt kind of at home there from the start. Tell me about, yeah. about what that story is and about how you sell it. And, and mm -hmm. especially in a, in a more crowded marketplace all the time, how, what makes it stand out? Yeah, so I think uh, the owners, you know, it's from from the it comes from the top. Uh, they walk the walk and talk the talk. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I can catch Donna cleaning a bathroom. Um, at the end of the day, I can yeah catch Bill um, scraping muck in his garage winery. Um, so you see that they do it. It's like you know we're all in this together. I'm sure we're sick of that phrase, but we really are. <laughs> Sorry. Um, just seeing that, and I mean, they're you know they grew up. Uh, not having a lot and then they've kind of built themselves up and to be successful members of the Oregon wine community and mm -hmm. just yeah all around lovely folks mm -hmm. yeah 
I think that really helps to kind of see that. And I mean, I've learned so much from them as business people, as regular people, as wine lovers. Um, yeah, they're, they were a lot of fun. You talked about the, the kind of the Another word we don't like anymore: pivot uh -huh. to, to more to yeah. more online yeah. digital, digital sales. Tell me about the the learning process of that for you. What what it's what you've needed to know and what you've kind of found out about yourself and about the, the sales process over the last year. Yeah, so you could teach people how to shop, and then people find that they like to shop online when it's so easy and convenient. I mean, we're just naturally lazy people, right? Deliver my wine yesterday at my doorstep. Um, and that's just what we did because that's what we had to do you know that's what people wanted that's what people needed they needed some sort of comfort whether it be wine i mean hey i'll take it we were considered an essential uh industry food items and yeah heck yeah uh, i'll wear that proudly um so yeah just learning how to communicate with people on more of a digital playing field mm -hmm. platform being more sincere being real mm -hmm. um and what i mean by that is uh I feel like we've got to because Gen Z doesn't play, you know, they're the next drinker of wine and they know when you're being disingenuous, when you're not being inclusive, you know, when you're just posing for the camera. Mm -hmm. So uh, we made ourselves a lot more available and vulnerable uh, during that time as well, letting people know that we're here and this sucks, but we're learning and we're trying and we'll do as much as we can, you know, for you, whether it be wine or just a conversation on Zoom, you know, mm -hmm. so. Um, and also with that, I mean, as we know, it, it, it shown a light on a lot of the disparities that we have in this industry as well with seasonal workers, um, with health coverage, you know, with a lot of the effects coming down to the, you know, black and brown community as well. Um, so yeah. So it's an interesting point you make about about Gen Z, and of course we hear that a lot mm -hmm. in the industry. That's the next, like you said, the next the next group of wine drinkers yeah. as as big boomers are aging out, and we're mm -hmm. looking at those. So you mentioned the kind of uh, authenticity, the the, 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 the the you can't be disingenuous, you can't be. So tell me about how you how that translates when you when you are selling wine. What do you what have you needed to do? What have you needed to portray from mm -hmm. from Winderly and from the wine industry to to make to hit that to, to find those people? Sure. Um, so a lot of it is just sort of, it sounds like living our values. So um, our farm, we farm biodynamically, some say naturally, um, but we're biodynamic farm. We are B Corp certified. So that's just five pillars that, you know, each for-profit companies have to meet to get a certification through an organization known as B Lab. And uh, we've been B Corp certified for, uh, well, since 2015 one of the second wineries, yeah, in the world. Um, so that really helped as well, I think, um, being more values-driven, um, you know, just having a bee on your bottle. And also, again, <laughs> um, you know, signage or anything like that. Um, also, your social media accounts um, really help just being, you know, a little more outspoken. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what you donate to, what you post online, your organization, I mean, who you support, it makes a difference as well. Uh, just letting people know that you know your your values aligned, and um, you're not gonna you know just be here one day and out the next. You're definitely a brand that has longevity mm -hmm. as well, and there's a reason for that. Um, not only is you know the wine wonderful, you know everyone's got wonderful wine. It's hard to make bad wine in the valley. Um, 
yeah, so like you mentioned, you just have to go beyond that and really tell your story. So again, like I said, it just goes to walking the walk and talking the talk. Uh, people will know when you're not, mm -hmm. you know, being, being genuine mm -hmm. as well, so. So we, we talked a little bit about, we touched a little bit about on the kind of diversity, equity, inclusion part of your, part of your mm -hmm. life and job. So let's yeah. talk about um, the DEI training that you started in, yeah. in 2019. Um, you, talk, you mentioned that was something that you were, you, you heard from others as, in the industry mm -hmm. as you were kind of experiencing yourself. So tell me about the getting that started and, mm -hmm. and what the need was and, and mm -hmm. what, what you tried to do with that initial training. Yeah, so once people understood what you know these letters stand for and what we're trying to what I'm trying to do they're like oh yeah of course I want that I don't I don't think back in 2000 what was it 17 or 18 when we first did it people understood the value of having a diverse workforce uh, about the different ideas and input different cultures can have in and make your uh, industry better um, we miss out on so much in life when we don't include other cultures, other walks of life. Our life could be so much richer if we just, uh, you know, included everyone as um, corny as that sounds. But yeah, once people, oh, this is what this is. Oh, I didn't recognize that we have, you know, uh, no people of color on staff. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I never thought of it. So just bringing people to the forefront. I understand that a lot of Oregon wine owners are small businesses and that's just not at the top of the radar and I also positioned it as from a marketing standpoint you know like I said Gen Z you know by 2043 most uh, young people are going to be of mixed race like myself um, my parents just got in early on the ground floor <laughs> you know, back in the 80s um, and from a marketing standpoint, I mean, these are going to be people with the dollars, with the expendable income, um, as the demographics of our country change. And I think we should, you know, be at the forefront of that. I think this is definitely something that Oregon has the capacity and the ability and the need and the want to take on. And again, like I mentioned, you've got the next generation of drinkers who, you know, aren't going to play. They, you know, they want to see the manager if you're acting up. Like, it's the I want to see the manager generation, right? So. It just makes sense. I mean, you, mm -hmm. to be inclusive, to be diverse, it's, um, it makes sense to me. So, you know, I don't I need to preach to myself. It's just, you know, getting it out there. So, yeah, we had a few um, uh, B Corp wineries who wanted to do the first session. We worked with a DEY practitioner by the name of Court Morse, uh, uh, an indigenous woman who does a lot of work around here in the community. Um, also has done some stuff with the local B, local PDX community as well. And uh, I believe we had someone from the WVWA uh, participate. Of course, Bill and Don at Winderly. We had Annie Scholl with Raptor Ridge. We had Alex over at Shehalem and um, somebody from Brooks and somebody from Stoller. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so it was really great. And, you know, once we were done with everything, everything was wrapped up. You know, it was like, oh, yeah, let's do it. You know, this is something that we really need. But again, like I mentioned, it's about having the capacity to do something. Mm -hmm. I mean, I strongly believe that. Uh, just the the beginning workings of DEI it should be part of all onboarding for every um, new employee training in the wine industry uh, or any industry mm -hmm. you know and it's an ongoing learning experience a learning process I'm still learning how to overcome my internal biases um, as well and it's something that you know has to be undone and it takes years and years and years and one class isn't gonna you know check the box and we're all and racism is cured so yeah <laughs> Um, it's an ongoing thing and I continue to try to support that and uh, you know not give into any performative allyship and just be as honest and genuine as I can about you know owning up to the awfulness of uh, you know things that have happened in our industry and also the good stuff as well. Mm -hmm. um, I remember speaking with uh, Stephanie oh gosh 
Hoffman. Hoffman, thank you. Yeah. Um, and because she and I had a conversation too about this, and she put it so well. She's like, I want to get in front of this DEY work before there is uh, a huge scandal, you know? And nobody got in front of it. And I really believe that's what happened. You know, you had people in the wine industry not understanding what all this was and how to react. And I just thought that was so cool the way she summed it up, you know. I guess they're getting behind it now or in front of it now. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. smart lady. <laughs> archives, archives, you know, graduates. So, mm-hmm. of course, you know. There you go. Put a feather in your hat. <laughs> um, so, I'm curious with that, with the, especially with the initial training, what would... What did you What did you think were What had surprised you about what people either knew or didn't know about what you were doing, and what were some of the kind of early successes for you? What 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 felt like you got right, or felt like you made made a mark in those kind of early? Yeah. Sessions? So just something as small as um, a lot of uh, people in this country not knowing their own racist history. Uh, so you know, I thought that was cool to teach people that in this little session that we had had, um, and also within my work, I've just more focused on my own organization since then, and even with. You know our own organization. We've got you know um, a DEI book club. You know we're involved in with the WVWA. Uh, we're always looking to hire more diverse candidates. And then within our own organization, just creating a container that's safe for folks of color, whether if, whether they're going to taste, if they're going to work there, mm-hmm. you know if they're going to do work there. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean they're small steps, but um, these changes you know they'll come, come incrementally and hopefully yeah yeah um, and also within the industry I feel like there's a lot of organizations that are supporting uh, people of color more as well I remember when I first moved out here again going back to that I got online and I was like where do I find an outlet for you know brown people for black people and when I got online I found one on thing I think it was in 2016 and it was called equity at the table it was all you know women in the wine and beverage industry food and beverage industry and I was like oh my gosh this is so cool and you just put slap up your profile you know for free and um, and I was like oh, I don't have a professional headshot you know they're not gonna take me seriously I'm not gonna do it whatever so that was the only thing I found and then I also was looking at research about how you know um, the, the drinking habits or the wine buying habits of black and brown folks and I remember calling Greg Jones and I was like, hey, is there any data on that? He's like, no, but that would be something really good to study. And I think they're studying it now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been for the past few years, which is really cool. So it was just difficult. I was like, where, where are all my people? Um, and uh, yeah, so then, uh, and it was weird as all this was happening. I was thinking about this. And I was talking to people, you know, here in Portland, I met some wonderful people. A woman who taught me so much when I moved here, her name is uh, Kat Guggenauer. And she actually works in D.C. now, but she was working uh, with her own company uh, for a long time. And sorry, the name escapes me, but uh, she's a local Portlander. And now she works at D.C. doing some um, diversity work there. Uh, and she just taught me so much. I remember we, and I didn't realize I was doing this. I don't know if it's subconsciously, but we met each other at a B, um, B Corp uh, celebration in, in Portland. And uh, she was the only other brown person I saw there, and we like gravitated towards each other. And I didn't realize that we did this. And then I started to, you know, be more conscious of it. And she's like, "Well, that's why you did this because you know there's not a lot of us here." And I was like, oh. uh, "So yeah, I just found that even subconsciously, I'm always looking for community. I think that's not only human nature, and then also you know a cultural thing as well." Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. What did you say? <laughs> 
Uh, what did you have? I don't even remember what I asked. That's okay. <laughs> I was I'm so curious about like kind of early successes and, and early mm -hmm. early markers for you. Mm -hmm. But now I'm. I'm uh, yeah. So uh, Sam Butter reached out to me and said, "Hey, we're going to meet at Sophia Torres McKay's house, owner of Cremozy," and she's like, and I was like, "Oh, this is interesting," you know. Um, we're looking at, you know, helping, maybe making a scholarship fund for vineyard stewards or something like that. Why don't you come over? And I was like, yeah, cool. Like, I've been waiting for something like this. And then, yeah, we got together before it was even Ivoy. And that's kind of how it started. We were just like, what do we do? And I remember, what is his name? Um, who is that? Juan Pablo mm -hmm. uh, with Balkan. He was like, uh, is it Balkan? No. Balkan, yeah. yeah. Thank mm -hmm. you. Um, he, um, which is really passionate. He's like, yes, I want to do a scholarship or something. And I just remember his passion. And also the late Jesus Guillen was there as well. And uh, they were both just going back and forth. No, let's do this. We should do this. So it was so many ideas flowing. It was really cool to see um, a lot of the Hispanic community coming together to, you know, better uh, vineyard stewards, as the majority are of Hispanic descent. And um, seeing that. So there was just some energy there. And I was like, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something. So that was the start of iBoy. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. So I'm going to come back to Ivoy in a second. Okay. Obviously, I have many questions about Ivoy. Mm -hmm. But uh, my first, uh, when, what, what were the what were the biggest barriers that you saw? What mm -hmm. were the biggest barriers for brown and black people either getting into the industry, yeah. improving themselves in the industry, or just being around wine in general, just tasting in general? What, what were mm -hmm. the biggest boundaries being thrown up, or barriers being yeah, thrown up? Yeah, yeah. So um, the proximity, having a car, getting out there, just being locally here. Mm -hmm. And then also um, maybe not... I guess wine has always looked at something stuffy. It's a luxury good. It's kind of a white old guy thing as well. And taking that preconceived notion out as well. Um, and also just, you know, as a woman who works in the industry, just being questioned. Uh, and then you start to question yourself. So again, that's, I've learned to advocate for myself just being in situations like that. People questioning your credibility, your know-how. Um, and just, I don't know, at times, like, not believing your narrative as well or telling you how you should feel. I felt like that was a thing that popped up a lot, um, just being in situations with white women and being a woman who, in the wine industry, who knows what she's talking about, is confident, and at times, you know, might um, maybe, they would take me as being mean or uh, authoritative, um, aggressive, mm -hmm. and... Um, as white women, you're always going to be the safest person in the room, and then white men. But um, so that was a bit of a awakening. I'm like, I'm just speaking, you know. So that was something that was interesting to see play out um, in wine, and um, yeah, again. And this is something that's always um, <laughs> befuddled me. Has always just rocked me. There's organizations within the wine industry who want diversity, but you can't sit on a wine board unless you're an owner um, or, or in a higher position because you have the time, I guess, and the money and the resources to do something. So I don't understand uh, how that works to your benefit. Mm -hmm. um, it just seems silly. That doesn't make sense to me because a lot of people who are in the board positions aren't the most diverse and you want diversity, but if you're not I mean, yeah, you can't tell, you know, the people who are being oppressed what's good for them and how they get out of it and what they need to do. You need to hear directly from them. So I don't know until that changes. That's something that's always kind of scratched at me and bothered me. But again, I don't have all the answers, you know, I'm just observing, you know, in my experience. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of what I've seen so far.
respect to Ivoy, and, mm -hmm. and I'll always add the disclaimer here that I'm on the board of Ivoy as well, along with you, and mm -hmm. so, uh, so everybody knows. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious, from those early conversations, and I came in a little bit later than that, from those early conversations, what did you see happening? What did you hope was going to happen? And, and, and how have things turned out, mm -hmm. I guess, uh, compared to what you were expecting? Yeah, that's a great question. I, yeah. Um, so when I first came in, I, I just wanted to give back to my community, my people. I was just like, there is so much untapped knowledge and experience out in those vineyards. And, and, and maybe someone in that vineyard position hasn't been asked if they'd like to work in another position or explore other options or you know look at their education. And partly I understand that education is a luxury, especially in this country, and a privilege. And if you don't have the time, the money, you know, or the ability to get to school, or you can't take off work, why would you do it? I mean, those barriers to entry are, are really um, something that I was hoping that we could overcome as well with the program. Um, yeah, because you've got to support your family. You know, you've got to work. I, I, I get it. Um, but again, my hope was just to give back to the community, uplift um, those in the community who look like me, and then have more power in the hands of the folks who, you know, aren't traditionally in those positions of power. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I found that was that was through education or just exploration of your industry and learning more and gaining confidence as well. Um, that's kind of something that helped me, even myself throughout this industry, is just, you know, gaining confidence as well. And of course learning. Um, but yeah, I didn't know what the heck, you know, but I, was, I just knew, you know, the focus, the main thing at the center of the organization has always been the vineyard stewards. Mm -hmm vineyard workers in Oregon and um, I um, and I knew that it was you know I was just really um, I knew it was being led by you know some committed some genuine people in the industry and I was like I you know we've got to get something going. So yeah, we really didn't know. Mm -hmm. And then we had our first event and I was just so heartened. I couldn't believe. I was like, you are believing this as much as I do? What? Because we had been bottlenecked for so long, just our little board, you know? And uh, I was like, I was just, I couldn't believe it. I was like, you believe this is important too? <laughs> like, I was crazy. That was even for Vita? Uh, yeah, I was like, you get it? This is wild. Like, you want to do this? Cool, let's do it together. So it's been so much community help. I'm like, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, as you know, without our community, again, I just always go back to that. Without pe people in this community helping move the needle and understanding, you know, the ever-changing landscape in the wine country, I mean, we, we couldn't do this, you know, without the support of community members. and. I'm just so grateful, so thankful every day that we have a lot of Oregon vineyard owners, winery owners who um, believe in this as much as I do. So that gives me hope, you know, for the future. When I'm, when I'm out of here and I'm off this board, yeah, I just want it to continue and, um, you know, have the, have the younger folks take it over and, yeah, and just setting the foundation now, knowing that this is, this is the expectation. We're not the exception. This is what's going to continue to happen. This is what needs to happen if we want to be, you know, a viable industry. If we want to be relevant, uh, yeah, we've got to uh, promote from within and help the people in our industry, just kind of the backbone of everything we do. I mean, if we don't have grapes, we don't have wine. We don't have 95-point wines that get to hype up these, you know, cool winemakers. We don't, I don't have it. You know, I can't pour it in the tasting room, right? So, yeah, we're all kind of out of it.
So, just, so to, for me, from your, from your perspective, you're, tell me about your role as president of iVoy, what, what, what that role means to you, and, and what you feel like the biggest steps iVoy's made so far are. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's just uh, spreading the iVoy uh, message, getting the word out there, just keeping that momentum going, just talking with anyone who will listen. Also, um, keeping the coffers full, you know, making sure that we have money for scholarships, um, going out, asking people for money, getting donations, um, helping with events, things like that. But for the most part, it's just, you know, representing this organization in the best light possible and just helping people understand what we want to do here, uh, what our future looks like, what we hope to do for the industry as a whole. Again, it's not about me. It's, at the, it's about these students. It's about, um, keeping this industry thriving, you know, and I think that's what um, iVoy will do, will bring to at least the Oregon wine industry. And the hope would be that this is kind of a plug and go thing, that we can take this to different wine regions as well. Um, I mean, as a whole, I think if we have a, you know, a better educated society, you know, we'll all thrive. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just spreading the word, talking with anybody who will listen. I mean, not really, but um, and always, you know, making sure we're forming, you know, positive relationships, long-lasting relationships with uh, members in the community. Yeah. So, for those who may not be familiar, describe iVoy. Yeah. What, what what it is and what its mission is. Sure, sure. So, um, iVoy, I mean, just exists to uplift vineyard stewards through education and by empowering them. And the way we do that is we build relationships with um, community members, uh, local instructors, as well as vineyard owners, winery owners, employers of the vineyard stewards as well. Um, and again, it, it just kind of goes back to community, like I mentioned. So uh, vineyard stewards typically spend about 16 weeks uh, just discovering all aspects of the wine industry. And we work really closely with local colleges, Chemeketa and Linfield and McMinnville. And, um, yeah, do you want me to do more detail? Next question. That's, that's, yeah, I, I can keep going. Okay. <laughs> I know you can keep going. Um, so obviously, uh, 2020 was was the inaugural class for mm -hmm. iVoice students. Uh, it got interrupted by a global pandemic, yeah. as everything else did. Um, from your perspective, tell tell me about how that first class went with the with the, with a delay in the middle, and how things are going so far with the educational part of the organization. Yeah. So I definitely think we're. Um, in the beginning, I mean, there are lots of things to tweak. You know, this is the first nonprofit of its kind, and a lot of us don't have a background. We all went to school, but we don't have a background in uh, setting up cur curriculum and education. Again, that's why we, we point to Rich or Jessica Sandrock um, to help us out. Uh, so we're always getting feedback from the employers, from the vineyard stewards, the employees. Uh, we want to improve this, and I think we're starting to really get it dialed in. Um, the first group, you know, were our babies, the guinea pigs, the test test group, um, and they and we told them, you know, we're all learning along the way. Please be patient with us, and we'll do everything we can to make sure you're successful. Just give us a little bit of grace. And uh, with the second group, I think it's definitely. I mean, it's only our second cohort. Um, I think it's definitely more dialed in as we've taken the feedback from the employers, from the employees, uh, students, and instructors as well. And I think it's just only going to continue to grow and improve and get better. Um, I, I'm hoping we don't have to tighten up the schedule because you know we're on an agricultural farming schedule. We can't you know interrupt harvest. Uh, you know, grapes are going to keep on growing. Um, so yeah, I think the 16 weeks um, is efficient, but again, it's 
I feel like an ever-evolving thing. I mean, it's only two years old, uh, but I do think it will improve year to year um, as we continue to listen to, again, the people who are at the heart of this organization, the Vineyard Stewards, the students. So we, we just had a first, the first graduation for the first oh, cohort, yep. of course, in, yeah. in early March. Um, Tell me about your impressions of, of that event and, mm -hmm. and, and sort of what, what you thought of the, the, the first kind of successful graduation yeah. you had. Um, so I felt the students walked away more confident. I mean, uh, just in their own position at their organization, at their, at their, their current positions. Um, they also uh, walked away with, I, I just, overall confidence. Seeing those men when they started and then now and being able to feel comfortable, a little bit more comfortable speaking just, you know, English. Mm -hmm. um, is, it was something uh, really cool to see. Uh, and then a few, a handful who want to continue education as well. There's a, maybe one or two of the, the eight graduating class that want to, you know, either we learn, you know, get their GED or just maybe look at some other classes at the local uh, community college, Chemeketa. Um So just seeing that and them sort of advocating for themselves um, so that they can be more successful. Uh, just having that is so powerful, you know, knowing that, hey, I, I can do this. It, simple confidence, you know, believing in yourself. And then also knowing that there is an entire support team behind you if you have questions or needs. Um, having that security as well, knowing that you are not alone, even though you may feel like that at times. This organization is here to, again, uplift and empower and, you know, help you be as successful as you can. Um, so yeah, the, the first class it was just it was it was really cool to see. They're just wonderful leaders, and um, they're the future of our wine industry. And uh, I think you know I will just be a small part of their future successes. And hopefully, this is the the tipping off point they need to go out and do you know maybe something they've always wanted to do, make wine, you know, like Alejandro mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was just you know really really proud and in awe, yeah of, you know, what people can do, you know, if you're just given a slight opportunity, just a, you know, a sliver of a chance, mm -hmm. we can, we can do quite a bit. So yeah, that was cool to see. Um, yeah, I just can't say enough nice things. I mean, just wonderful people. The first class. Um, as you, yeah. look, as you look ahead for Ivoy, then mm -hmm. you mentioned kind of the, the ultimate goal, perhaps being like, like you say, kind of a plug and play where yeah. we can take this to other regions. But for Ivoy, Oregon specifically, what, what do you hope for as you look ahead? What do you, what do you see in, in mm -hmm. the future? And what, what are your, what is the kind of the grand ambition in your head? Yeah, yeah. So we hope that folks that uh, are coming out of the program will eventually lead and be on the board. We'll be, you know, doing uh, more work for Ivoy, spreading the word, uh, being instructors. Um, and also being those positions of power eventually, you know, in a few years, making the wine, being a wine owner, being the um, tasting room manager, uh, being the vineyard foreman, um, working in the barrel room, uh, barrel room manager, things like that. Um, yeah, and just going beyond our organization. I mean, just up and up is, is, is what I hope for. And we can have more graduates of the program and then hopefully the program will be responsible for um, like I said, successes in the valley, upward mobility, it's kind of the... I, I want people who go through the program to tell their friends, you know, to tell their family, um, and just be advocates of the organization. I just want them to have a good experience in that and, and tell, tell others, yeah. So it, it, on, the, on the kind of 
the industry that you saw that you got into the, when you when you came here and, and you didn't see a lot of people that looked like you or, or, or had a similar background to you, how much has changed in your mind in, in, the, in the years you've been here and, and what do you see as you look ahead for the future of, of sort of the diversity of the industry? Mm -hmm. I think people are kind of um, awakening to uh, the need for for diversity and um, yeah, there's a lot of more organizations popping up. It's pretty wild uh, to see all of these inclusive organizations that want to promote education and wine for um, the BIPOC community. Uh, so really happy to see that. Um, and um, just yeah, having a few more resources out there if you're trying to get into the wine industry. It doesn't have to be you know, as hard as it has been in the past, starting at the bottom. Um, although in some positions, that's what you just got to do. But uh, yeah, so. As you look ahead, do you see organizations like Ivoy, organizations like Salud, and, and others that are coming? You see them? You see that being a growing, a growing thing? More organizations like that? And, and what do you see for? the kind of diversity of the industry itself. Like, mm -hmm. do, you, do you see it diversifying? It, has it diversified already? Yeah, it has definitely diversified a little bit. Uh, there's more, uh, yeah, Mexican winemakers. Uh, and yeah, with these programs, I think they'll definitely, um, sorry, Mexican, Hispanic um, winemakers in the industry. Um, yeah, I definitely think these, um, these organizations will grow because, you know, Salute is more health focused and I've always more education focused. You know, we're not a monolith. We all have different needs. So um, I think there's going to be a lot more organizations pop up as needs, you know, pop up too. Mm -hmm. um, and again, as the, the wine industry continues to change and evolve, mm -hmm. um, and there'll definitely be a need for those organizations too. You know, yeah, we're just kind of scratching the surface is what I feel like. So, yeah. What do you see as you look ahead for yourself and for your own work at, at Winderly oh and elsewhere? Oh gosh. Um, yeah, I like that question. You know when you do interviews and they're like, so where do you see yourself in five years? I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. Um, and so yeah, my hope is uh, within this industry, uh, I definitely would continue with my current position. Um, Eventually, I think I will move back to Kansas because what I want to do is give back to my community, you know, the community that raised me, and, and that's going to be in wine. I just want to share my passion and my love for wine. I will. And um, as a single port person living in Portland, it's hard to buy a house, so I'll go back home and do that. Um, um, yeah, where it's portable and I can do that. And also, I'm really close to my family and I miss them so much all the time. So I'm, I'm sure I'll eventually go back and um, hopefully have my own wine on tap bar. Mm -hmm. um, and again, just make, I just want to go back and again, make wine more inclusive. Keep doing something like that. Very community driven. I mean, this isn't uh, a money maker for me. It's definitely making wine more inclusive, more approachable mm -hmm. and uh, sharing my love and passion for it. Educating and uh, uh, making it more accessible as well. And I think that's kind of a way for me to do it. I don't ever see myself not in wine. I'm always going to be in wine in some capacity. Um, but that's, yeah, where I see myself heading. But as of now, I mean, I'm committed to this organization, my uh, uh, Winderly, um, and doing what I'm doing. Uh, my hope would be, yeah, to. No, I think that's it. Yeah, for now. Yeah, yeah. I'm just getting ahead of myself. 
Yeah. I like that goal a lot, though. That's really, that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about the, the wine scene at home. Is there much of a, what is the wine scene like in Wichita? Yeah, so people in Kansas drink wine. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I get that sometimes. Um, um, there is a wine scene there. Yeah. But again, I feel it's only for a small group of people right now. Uh, so again, I just want to make it more inclusive and uh, spread the word about, you know, how great it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and how much you need it, <laughs> no. Um, and just, yeah, again, education, educating people on wine. But um, yeah, I feel like it's only reserved for a little, a small pocket of people. Um, again, that is changing all over the country. You know, wine is becoming more accessible and affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of want to get rid of those, this, this pretense, the pretentious side of it as well. I know when I first got into it, I mean, and I don't know if I can say this, feel free to edit it, but I just felt it was all like douchey white guys telling me how wine should taste. And I was like, is this even for me? Like, I love to drink it, but, and I know what I taste. Oh, sorry. I know, I know what I taste. Um, So yeah, I wasn't, I didn't know if I was going to continue. Like, it's kind of a surprise that I'm sitting here, you know, I've been living here, working here for six years, because I was like, I I don't know about this. um, yeah. Do you know what, why? <laughs> Do you know what, what, was there a moment that you, was there a moment when you decided it was for you? Like, was it, or, or, or an event or something that happened that was like, wine is what I want to do? Oh gosh, that's a great, yeah. I think it was just working with some really wonderful people at the first wine shop I worked at. And they're like, yeah, you can do this. Like, go do it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and you know, at the end of the day, you don't need that, right? Just believe in yourself. If that's what you want to do, like try, you know, you fail or you, you succeed, I guess. So, yeah. <laughs> so you talked earlier about, um, obviously about how COVID had affected your, your, your work and the mm-hmm. pandemic affected your work. Uh, I'm curious uh, how you saw, it, in addition to that, if it affected you, kind of your wine life at all, what, mm-hmm. what else has affected, the last year affected it, and how you've seen it affect the industry in general? Yeah, yeah so I felt like a lot of people like immediately like jump shit, ship, like sell, sell, sell. Um, you know, they're giving away the farm in these emails, and um, which I understand, you know, we're all kind of freaking out, but I didn't want to miss out on an opportunity, you know, because from this tragedy, you know, there's there's been some successes and some opportunities that have come. It's been a huge learning lesson for everybody in the industry across the board. Um, with, with things being closed and with, with like West Tourism and mm-hmm. all, all of that, you mentioned kind of early panic. Did yeah. the industry, did you, did you feel that the industry kind of settled into a, a groove at some point and, and found the way, found kind of its way through it? Yeah, yeah, thank you for, um, helping me there um yeah definitely I think the wine industry as a whole we were just you know we rely heavily on tourism and we just weren't getting that in the numbers that we normally do and my organization actually closed down for three months and relied heavily on online sales and delivery local delivery and um I think a lot of the folks in the Oregon wine industry said hey we're gonna follow the guidelines do what we have to do um, and keep people healthy. I think, I think, yeah, that's a great question because, you know, you see it was, it sort of got to be a political issue and I feel like the wine industry, at least in the Willamette Valley, was always on the same page. Hey, do what you gotta do because, again, we've always been the little guy and we've always worked together, I feel like, in the Oregon wine industry. You know, everybody knows Napa in California, but 
people don't know a lot about Oregon. I always I hear all the time, that's up and coming region known as Oregon. <laughs> I'm like, it's here. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think we, oh, we've always had that mentality, that little scrappy, you know, mm-hmm. fighting mentality. And it was like, you guys get with it, you know, have the masks, make sure everyone's sanitized, you're keeping employees safe, you want to, you want it to be safe for people to want to come here and travel. And so, yeah, I think, again, we all came together, really. Um, that's a great question. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's tough to see that. Yeah. You know, it's, it is. We're Thank still, you. We're, we're, still, we're still in it. You know? like, yeah. We've yeah. come a long ways, but we're still in it, so yeah. no, not a problem. Um, as you look ahead for the Oregon wine industry, just kind of in general, mm-hmm. what do you see? What is Oregon wine going to look like in the coming years? Yeah, so I feel like there's going to be a lot more um, experimentation in regards to just wine making, um, who's making the wine. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, more diversity, more people um, getting the opportunity, just having the opportunity to try to make wine. Um, and it's not going to be relegated to the, the, the few. Um, I also see um, the online sales uh, just being a huge thing as well, something that will never go away. I mean, and shipping costs, I feel like, are dead. I mean, I'm never going to pay shipping for, you know, six bottles ever again. Um, and yeah and i feel like and and i know i'm I'm looking at like the kansas side how that because you know wine laws are different in every Mm -hmm, every mm -hmm. state here um but yeah just being able to make deliveries i I just feel like the digital world is still untapped and unexplored and really slow moving in the wine industry and there's still a lot more room for um um, uh, discovery a lot more room to sell wine get, get the wine in people's hands and also educate people about wine there's just so much room and there's a whole you know new audience of wine drinkers young people black and brown people um, and I just I, I'm excited to see what that holds I don't know but I feel like it's going in that direction you know um, and everyone's just online and consuming more and more information you know, every day, and I think the wine wine industry has, you know, a really golden opportunity to kind of seize on that as soon as they understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have a question that we like to wrap interviews up with, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I'm going to change it a little bit for you because I'm curious about this. We usually ask about what, what the role wine has in society, but, but I'm curious from your perspective, what is the responsibility that wine has to in society? What is the responsibility mm-hmm. the industry has to, to the society, and what, what are, and what are the opportunities that the wine industry can capitalize on? Yeah, so I feel like the wine industry has a duty to be uh, stewards of the land um, and maintain a viable earth for future generations, um, whether that be farming, biodynamic, you know, low in output, input, analogy. Um, and I think the wine industry has the opportunity to educate. The dollars are there. It has the opportunity to be more inclusive, uh, to um, just be better all around. Um, again, it has the opportunity to expose more people to it as well. Um, it's just a matter of if the if the want is there, you know, if, if the people in power understand that, and you know want to uh, hone in on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I would think. Yeah. All the questions that I have for you, is there anything I didn't ask that I should have, anything we didn't talk about today that we should have talked about? Oh, gosh. 
what we're getting for lunch. <laughs> no, uh, no, I think this is great. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. And thank you, Tia. This is fun. Yeah, it was nice to talk thank, to you. You're you so easy to talk to. Oh. You're so great to talk to. Yeah. It's such a nice compliment. I, yeah. hope, I hope so at this point. <laughs> thank you so much, Dan. We yeah. appreciate your time. Appreciate your answers and your candor today. Yeah. And uh, we'll let you off the hook. Okay. Thank, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. Special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have assisted on our oral history interviews.